Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of the Outspec Podcast was brought to you by Magna. Magna is a leading-edge mobility technology company for automakers, and it supplies automotive systems, assemblies, modules, and components to countless brands you've undoubtedly heard of. GM, Ford, BMW, Mercedes, Volkswagen, and so many more. Magna has been a key player behind the scenes for decades, including pioneering some of the first reverse cameras before you had even heard of the concept. They now look to the future with fully autonomous driving systems, ADAS, and many electric car components for your EV at home. We'd like to thank our sponsors that make shows like this possible. Hello, and welcome to another Out of Spec podcast. Uh, tonight, you're joining uh, me, Ben, and our friend Logan, who has been on the podcast once before, but he was just a voice coming at you. Now we get to see him for those of you on video. Uh, Jordan is, and Kyle are both off tonight. They're both traveling. Uh, so we decided we're going to try and fill in, take the reins, and just run this thing right off the tracks. So we're going to be talking mainly about uh, the Tycon, since we have two Tycon owners here tonight, uh, and autocrossing in a Tycon. That is exceptionally cool. I'm very excited to hear about Logan's experience with that. Uh, we're probably going to touch on the new Apple CarPlay update uh, that's rolling out in the next couple of years. It's supposed to be pretty, pretty intense. Um, and we're also going to mention, maybe touch on these new Cybertruck photos that have uh, kind of hit the internet today. And uh, Ben has a whole rant he just wants to go on about the automotive industry in general. Something that is bugging him, and I get to hear about it every day. So I figured, why can't everyone? <laughs> so let's dive right into it. So Logan or Ben, if either one of you guys wants to start out about with your uh, Tycon ownership. I think you both have owned mm -hmm. it for roughly the same amount of time almost. Yeah. Ooh, who has, who has more miles? Let's check. I have 6,700 miles exactly. Yep. Where are you I at? Have, I have 3,600. Ooh, Ooh, I'm winning. 
or losing, depending yep. on if you look at depreciation or not. <laughs> My mini only has 2,600 miles on it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but impressive. I was working from working from home for two years until three weeks ago. So, <laughs> so that actually so is pretty go. impressive then. That's all fun mileage. Right. So am I really winning then? Probably not, because my fun no. mileage is definitely going to be lower, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's unfortunate. Unfortunate realities of uh, commuting in a car, I guess. For sure. Well, you've been, we've both been doing fun things at our Tycons. Uh, I had taken mine with Kyle. We've done ruined a whole set of tires drifting, and you've been doing your own tire ruining. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, so autocross and the Tycon. Um so I previously autocrossed my Tesla Roadster uh, 2010, um, and I was really curious to see what the Taycan would do. And I had to wait until April after getting it delivered in December to really feel the portion-ness of the car um, and how well it would do and uh, see if I had any buyer's remorse. Um, and I'll say, like, it, it does not disappoint um, for sure. Um, Handling-wise, it, it, it felt s small, um, Definitely a lot smaller than my Model S that I had before. Um, it handles fantastic. Um, yes, I'm burning through the tires, uh, Ben, like you said. <laughs> um, there's definitely a lot of weight to move around there, right, with 5,000 plus pounds. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I had had no braking power in the Roadster. I mean, it could go like the wind, right, but I couldn't brake at all. So um, it's really cool to apply the brake pedal and have it just, kick in the region uh, for most of it. Um, I never hit ABS on any mm. of the hard stops. Um, I was able to get like one, 1. 1.5 uh, on the G scale. Oh, that's pretty car. good. <laughs> um, for, for left and right, uh, going through some, some corners. So that was pretty fun. Um, the, the first course uh, in April that we did, I've done it in April and May. Uh, the April course was a lot more conducive to a larger car, uh, I would say. Um, the May course was a lot tighter. Um, so a lot better for smaller cars, 718s, those types of things, Miatas. So, so yeah. Logan, uh, what is the spec of your Taycan again? I actually forget a little bit. I know somewhat about it, but please share us with us again. Sure. What you said. Which about. sporty options are on it? I know there's a few. <laughs> sporty. <laughs> so it's a Tycon 4 Cross Turismo. So the wagon version. Um, mm. But base, base powertrain, uh, if you will. Um, for those of you who don't know who are listening, uh, the 4 is the, the base model for the Cross Turismo. Mm -hmm. um, that's all wheel drive. Um, I got every dynamic option, handling option I could on the car. So the rear wheel steering, the torque vectoring. Oh, okay. um, Ben's uh, dream spec. Everything. One of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Ben has I don't no even need options. more than the four. I think the four is enough power at the end of the day. It's it's still fun. Yep. So, yeah, it's uh, acceleration-wise, um, you know, it kept up with everybody else uh, on the course. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, uh, there's a lot, obviously, in autocross uh, that's due to the driver, not the car. So, um, I have a long way to go to learn how to drive better, but uh, handling of the car was was fantastic. Um, after the first lap around the track, I uh, stopped by my my neighbor was in the row next to me in the grid waiting to go, and I was like, "Dude, thank you for convincing me to buy a Porsche. Like this is fantastic." <laughs> a lot of people say that after experiencing any sort of autocross or track day event in a Porsche, I will say that that is yeah. the first yeah. thing a lot of people say. 
What kind of Porsche did your neighbor have? I know you told us, but I've forgotten already. Uh, they have a 22 uh, 718 Spider. Oh, that's oh. a car too. And magically, or ironically, whatever you want to say, uh, the price of theirs and the price of mine were the same. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> but it just, it just, pretty it just exact? For. Yep. <laughs> that's so cool, actually. That is really cool. The uh, when, when Ben and I went down to Atlanta, we... Uh, went to the Porsche experience center mm -hmm. uh, down there and we did a uh, ride along event because they didn't have any driving slots available. And mm -hmm. for our time that we had down there, it just made more sense to do the ride along to at least get to experience, you know, a uh, Porsche on in its element. And the car that we got to go in was actually the 718 spider uh, PDK. And it was absolutely incredible. Our test driver is really cool too. He was mm -hmm. like, Oh, do you mind if I, really hammer it over here like yeah just go full out just do yeah. do it all you got yeah. tried to get air going over uh <laughs> around that last corner there is really yeah. fun that car sounds amazing it is yeah you can tell they're all uh enthusiasts at like the porsche experience center because at the very beginning where they do the you know standing start uh they all go so we're not really supposed to use the launch control but if you won't tell anyone i will and then they'll use launch <laughs> control right away so uh, I think there's a lot of enthusiasts at the company, which is always a good sign for uh, driving fun. Um, so you did two track days. Uh, how was the tire situation? Because we did not get very far in our tires on the track. <laughs> so I'm assuming drifting. you had better luck. Yeah. Well, you also were, were drifting. Um, yeah. A lot of times, <laughs> too. So, um, I mean, on we, uh, The trip computer said 1.9 miles <laughs> before it blew out. So it wasn't a whole lot of distance we covered. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I, uh, the, the, the course isn't very long. Um, it roughly both courses were about a minute. Um, we do it at the, basically at the end of a runway, uh, out here in Colorado, but, uh, yeah, the sidewalls were, were nice and, and shiny and new and, uh, and square when I started and they are not that way anymore. Um, That's good. Front and rear, but I, I could definitely get some, uh, some rear wheel spin, um, and some rear end, uh, drift out. Uh, on some of the corners on the most recent track because it was so tight. That's pretty fun. And so you yeah, have rear yeah, steering torque vector and rear steering. That's a fun setup for a car, for sure. Uh, I have none of those things. <laughs> my my <laughs> rear steering is just drifting pretty much. That's all I've got. Uh, but uh, I was going to say, you have summer tires on that car now, right? You Correct. Okay, so you're enjoying it to the fullest. As it should yeah, be. Eagle F1. Okay, yeah, so something with actual very grippy. Then it's high preferences and tires. Yeah, that's what came from the factory. So yeah, that's a good tire. Yep. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is. I've noticed uh, sometimes you'll see Porsches with the same wheel uh, option, and you'll they'll have just different versions of the summer tire all season. I'm guessing just like other companies, it's kind of what's in stock. As long as it's a Porsche variant, it's it's still close enough or going to be you know similar in its dynamics. But mm -hmm. um, the guy okay. I, I haven't actually driven this like one. We've seen the, I haven't driven the, I think it's Pirelli all season ones. Are they the only variant I haven't experienced yet, which is something I'm curious about, but I also am not a big Pirelli fan. So I'm kind of okay not experiencing <laughs> those. Ones I was going to say, you have strong preferences when it comes to tire manufacturers. I do. I'm a tire snob and headlight snob generally too. Um, but since we can't get matrix uh, dynamic LEDs in the US, uh, that saves me a lot of money being a uh, headlight snob. Well, I mean, I can't have the good ones yet. Yes, um, soon. And on tires, I will say, uh, so the car got delivered in December. 
mm-hmm. with Summers because I forgot to check that box on the order form. <laughs> uh, you now cannot do those with it. Now they ship with uh, all season tires I saw on the configurator. Okay. Yeah, I forgot so, to check uh, the box that says all seasons instead of summers. So it came with that. And then so right away I had to go buy all seasons because live in Colorado and snow yeah. and all the things. So um, I hadn't had the summers on since, you know, basically just driving at home uh, upon delivery. So uh, that was another thing that I noticed a big change in too. I've never had two sets of tires on any car before because no car that I've had really warranted that. Um, and uh, after swapping the summers back on, I mean, I thought the car was, you know, on rails before it's, it's definitely dialed in. Steering's mm-hmm. a lot tighter and a lot, a uh, lot more directional. I think there's nothing more satisfying than like going for either from a worn tire and all season to like a really good summer. Like that transition is always, I don't know. There's like, you know, when a car has been like freshly detailed, it just feels, it drives better. doesn't matter. It's, it's just cleaner, but it drives better. Oh, yeah. Tires are that way, but you actually, it's real, which is extra satisfying <laughs> instead of it being in your head. No, I agree. <laughs> so I think uh, now that we've had our cars probably six months, right? Yes. Just over six months each. Uh, ownership report. Um, I have had a pretty good one technology issue wise. I've only had two. I uh, briefly came disconnected from Porsche servers originally and the quick reset of the car solved it. Uh, and the alarm was going off like randomly constantly. And then they put a new part in it and it's been fixed. So now I have a perfectly functioning car. Um, and the alarm was <laughs> sort of bypassable by locking it a certain way that disabled the interior sensors. But how has yours been so far? Yeah. The first time I, uh, I had the, the alarm going off uh, problem too. Um, what time did oh, you yeah. discover that was an issue in your car? I discovered, I think at 3 AM. <laughs> no, it was, it wasn't an afternoon. Oh, good. So, so at least oh, yeah. it was, uh, yeah. you know, not, uh, not waking up everyone. <laughs> yep. And I also forgot about the, you know, double press lock to disable the interior sensor. The mm-hmm. first time I drove it and I had my dog in the car and I went into the store. Um, <laughs> it was just going off in the parking lot, but that was my fault. Um, yeah, so there's there's definitely a, a difference. Um, I mean, you and I have both had uh, Teslas in the past and, uh, you know, used to, to getting those software updates and having things be fixed relatively quickly, um, which has is, is not been the case uh, necessarily uh, with the Taycan. Um, so my, my PCM is super buggy and i would say if it if it wasn't for that um i would 100 percent love the car but there's like just this little bit because i'm a technologist uh by trade Mm -hmm. um and enjoy those types of things that uh because it's it's not just perfect um that it, it bugs me a bit so with the pcm um i've had it occasionally sporadically boot up in german oh that's uh, fun yeah I've had it occasionally <laughs> boot up just with the, you know, the Porsche logo on there. Um, and it doesn't actually get to any kind of user interface. Hmm. Um, I've had it to where uh, it doesn't load any of the audio sources, but everything else works fine. Um, and all of these things are totally random. Um, from a, As a software person myself, I would expect there to be some kind of sequence of things to where... Um, if I lock it a certain way or unlock it, you know, whatever, then it, it, it would, uh, it would show some of these things, but, uh, it's, it's seemingly totally random. Um, also when I'm at autocross, uh, cause I leave the car on, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, don't, don't shut it off at all. 
but uh, you know, walk away from the car, walk back to the car with the key in my pocket. Um, then it loses all of my audio calibration settings. Very odd. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Have, Maybe it's like, a wagon those... thing. Maybe wagons are just less reliable than the sedans or something. That's. <laughs> it's all the sporty bits getting in the way. So I've all those. Um, you know what they say: more options, more PTM. problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah right more money more problems but all those instances with your pcm have they all happened repeatedly or have any just happened once and they've never come back i'm just curious yeah the the booting up in german is the the least frequent i guess mm -hmm. uh, um, well you should just learn to speak german then it's fine you know I, what i think i've seen that once when it was boot like booting up very uh early like it briefly said like Welcome in or something, but then it quickly it switched over kind of quickly. But I, kind of, I think I've kind of glimpse of it showing kilometers or uh, German before. Yeah, right. I was going to say, right. Ben, you had an issue occasionally where it would show kilometers in your PCM and it would it wouldn't let you log in. Like it would keep you. In yeah, system, that was that login which was uh, the issue. Most annoying thing. Yeah, that one they just had to reset. Like when it, when the cars come to the US, they plug them in and they do like a you're an American car, you're going to do these things. They just redid that and it took like 30 minutes and it was good. Um, so I think all my issues stemmed from that specifically because um, they haven't come back, thankfully. But uh, yeah, some of those ones are different. Yeah, when I drove away um, from the dealer at delivery to the, um, the speedometer gauge was showing kilometers um, <laughs> per hour. That's, um, yeah, and I went, was too. Yeah, and I went into the settings yeah. And it was set to miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, so cool. I had to toggle it back and forth, and then it it was back to to miles per hour. Miles. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I have a third weird quirk with my software. Um, currently, every unit in the car is set to miles. Everything I see shows miles. However, if on the so you can see your range on the cluster behind the steering wheel, and in the little lower panel, like the touch panel near the cup holders, and you can also go to a charging menu on the central like main display and see your charge there. When I look at my range and battery information on that panel, which is kind of backwards and normally is not something it would do because it's kind of an inconvenient way of getting to something that I can see in two other places always. Uh, it will say if I have like 150 miles of range, it will show 150, but then it will have the kilometer de uh, denotation next to it for some reason. Uh, it, but the number is the same, which is interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. So, but, Logan, uh, you brought up a, a good point where, because I drove Ben's Tesla a lot, and you, know, you own a couple of Teslas yourself, and Tesla's user interface was really, really good. It probably still is one of the best ones out there by far. Mm -hmm. But I'd argue it got the, a little worse with some of the recent updates. Well, with the recent updates, I don't updates, like this, yeah. but they've kind of come back, but I feel like sometimes it's like two steps back and then a bunch of half steps forward to get caught up with those. Um, but if I had a nickel for every time my podcast on Spotify in the Model 3 were just <laughs> non-functional, I would probably have been able to buy a Tycoon sooner. <laughs> but it also doesn't have Spotify built in, so it didn't really get me that far, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, just going from that car to like the user interface, like most manufacturers, if not all, are definitely playing catch-up to Tesla in that respect. And even with the over-air update. So it's really interesting that Porsche does not really have any <laughs> really like in the car is LT not, not feature right? updates really. Yeah. Yeah. But not like, like, you can't do like a software ones. update over the air. Cause like it can and Volvo and Polestar 
can do not a lot big of updates. Features. It can do like it does maps, and if you subscribe to your feature stuff, like you buy the yeah the matrix the, a, a, the or yeah what is it say if you buy the lane keeping assist or or you know no drive no drive yeah yeah those I think will those are all wireless and maps and a lot of like the. the uh smaller like connectivity services i think are but i think for the big hardcore updates that are going to be like reworking the fundamentals of the car i don't know if it can it doesn't seem like it can do those over the air that's I mean, for sure i just find that interesting that volvo and polestar can do that like they've released many updates mm -hmm. that have even changed the ui in the mm -hmm. driver display screen where now it shows miles or before it would and other various little uh, bug fixes that they've been releasing. They constantly release it almost as uh, quickly as Tesla releases updates mm -hmm. for their cars. Um, so it's, to me, it's, it's a little surprising that Porsche does not do anything like that yet. Maybe in the future they will. Um, but it is kind of like on a car like a Taycan, who a lot of people buying that car probably owned a Model S or a Model X at one point even, would mm -hmm. be, you would imagine they'd be used to it, but maybe people just aren't as techie as we think they are. <laughs> I, I think Volkswagen Auto Group in general, I would say, you know, because you look at the early issues with ID4s and some of the stuff Audi's dealing with and Porsche, I think they're learning the hard way at the moment uh, that you need to really vertically integrate all of your software and hardware solutions. So I think in about two or so, three years, the next iteration of a lot of this is going to be very much looking different in the way they, you know, from an architecture perspective, how they approach it. I think all automakers are probably getting into that. You either have a highly integrated system or you just put in a dumb head unit that's like aftermarket almost and has very little integration with the car. Because it's kind of, you got to go all or nothing on that stuff, I think. A lot of the, the updates, I know, you know, being a Tesla owner for years, uh, were quite large. Uh, yeah. And so one of the things that kind of baffles me about the design of the Porsche too is, you know, you can have um, a hotspot inside the car. Uh, Wi-Fi, right? That's how it does uh, CarPlay and things like this. But it can't connect to my home Wi-Fi network, right? It can in Russia, I learned from the Porsche forums. <laughs> but not anywhere get, else. I don't know why. To get those big updates, like you have to do that. You're not going to get it all over LTE. Um, no, yeah. definitely and, not. And my LTE in the car is horrible too. Uh-oh. So sometimes it'll only pull updates like when I'm driving a random place that I haven't driven before. But generally, I only have like one bar of signal. Oh, wow. I, uh, I have the opposite. My car's on Verizon and my phone is on Verizon and the car has great service and my phone just sucks like almost all the time for some reason. But that might be a bigger <laughs> issue with the Google Pixel 6 Pro than the car. Because the car seems place. better there. I think the antennas in this phone are not great, unfortunately. Do you have as the, much as I like it. Do you have the thermal and noise insulated glass? No, I avoided that for the, the signal stuff. Okay. I'd heard, I, but I, I didn't know how strong also. that was. Mm -hmm. uh, that oh, you do have that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, it is cool. nice though. Like it, like on a cold day, you don't get that chill off the glass. I do like that about that though. I mean, driving past big trucks on the highway, super quiet. Mm. You <laughs> well, win some, you of, lose some. <laughs> of user yeah. interfaces, I just want to touch on. Uh, so Apple just had their uh, yearly like software event, and uh, they did announce that there's going to be a new version of Apple CarPlay coming out, which now can actually take over any screen, all the screens in your car. So your driver information mm -hmm. display, your center screen stack, 
Um, it can even display information such as your speed, fuel level, engine temperature measurements. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool that Apple is starting to expand their CarPlay uh, mm -hmm. model, basically, uh, which is probably good for a lot of automakers because a lot of automakers do not make good infotainment systems at all. Whereas most of the time you just get in the car, even on my mini, like BMW's skin over the mini is actually kind of cool. I dig the, the way it looks, but it's just convenient just to get in. And then my phone connects wirelessly, uh, which not everyone can do, which it should just be like Ben can't do wirelessly without his little dongle in the car. And Cars made four months later can, though, which is the most <laughs> upsetting part about it. <laughs> um, but it's super convenient just to get in and then you have it all laid out the way you want. You have Spotify messages. So, I mean, I'm pretty excited to see what this new Apple CarPlay feature will look like yeah. uh, in the next couple of years. Now, I know a number of automakers have signed on, including Porsche, uh, but like Volvo, Polestar, Toyota, uh, BMW have all said that, yes, they will get the update. Um, but as of right now, who knows when it will happen? Uh, I'm imagining. And, and I wonder how much of this is going to be an update to the existing cars versus the new cars have to be built with that. Um, yeah. Like, I'm going to call it CarPlay Plus. I don't know what to call it, really. Extended CarPlay capability in mind. Because, you know, then you're getting data fed to your, your you know, you know, central screen, your instrument cluster to behind the steering wheel. Maybe auxiliary displays are being fed by that a heads up display. Like that's a very interconnected setup there. And then the car also has to be set up to share all that, you know, whether it be engine speed, battery charge, coolant temperatures, uh, fuel range and, and gear and RPM and all that and driving mode info back to the Apple system. So I, I wonder if that's a ground up thing for a lot of cars to have to do um, versus in it. I imagine it's not going to be an update to a car that sports CarPlay gets that would be my thought. And um, I wonder if there'll if that'll all be supported wirelessly too cuz that's a lot of data. That might be a lot of data. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're running, you know, realistically in some cars you're pretty much I would say at least a 1080p display, but you know, if you look at something like I get using Tycon for example, I think like the instrument panel alone is like 2.5k or something, you know, and that's you know, you've got a little over 1080p in the center console like you could be, you know, you're having to push three or more high resolution monitors. That's not something that would have great latency over wireless. It might be required like, to plug in. Or the car like has to have some sort of cached data already. Mm -hmm. And then it's pulling just a few parameters via the phone, like how you like it arranged, perhaps. So this could be very interesting to see how this integration plays out. Well, um, as an Android good. user, I just hope that it means like, don't end up buying a car where I'm in it. And if I don't have an iPhone, it's basically like the most basic UI ever, like bare minimum, like HTML, like here's your speed and, <laughs> and bare text and nothing else. Cause that I could also see a company being like, yeah, if you don't have an iPhone, basically all you get is a speedometer now. <laughs> yep. And you think about I mean, something like uh, the hyperscreen in a Mercedes. Oh yeah. yeah that's huge. Aspect I mean, ratios yeah. and, and layouts are all completely different too. It's going to require deep integration between both. I think I'm guessing Apple's gonna have like, here's our developer kit. You as an automaker have to align with it in some way. Yep, that's what I was thinking I mean, too. Maybe Apple just build the whole car one day and then they don't have to worry about it. But I do think- Yeah, but then I would be even right worse off with my Android phone. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even have Bluetooth anymore. I'd be out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, Android <laughs> Automotive like, right now doesn't even support It'd be like, Apple put your iCloud in to start driving and be like, oh, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> 
but I'm sure it'll be from ground up. I don't see this coming to like my mini or your Tycon or anything like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least not anytime soon. Uh, yeah. Are, are there any cars right now that allow CarPlay to interact with more than the main display currently, like turn by turn navigation to your heads up or instrument cluster? I'm not aware of any cars. I don't think the that. CarPlay so. uh, kit even allows that the SDK. That's what I yeah. figured. If anyone would, it'd be BMW, I think, because they have very good CarPlay integration these days. But it, I, I haven't heard or seen. I haven't personally seen that, at least. Yeah, so, I don't think so. Speaking of CarPlay, Ben, um, well, I guess I can't ask you this question because you have an Android. I was going to ask, uh, you know, what do you <laughs> prefer, like the native uh, PCM in the Tycon versus a CarPlay? I actually think the, I like the way the interface and the customization setup in the native um, Tycon PCM. I, I like that. Uh, I still use like my Android Auto from all my media because it's easier for you know dealing with Spotify and I listen to like seven different podcasts and I usually go through one a day. So at some point during my commute, I have to switch from one podcast to the next, which is a different, not just a different episode, but a, a different podcast, you know, artist or whatever, um, which is kind of a, a hassle. So I usually I'm only in. Android Auto or CarPlay just for media, and then I'm using it back to the factory system for you know data that's provided that's more in depth. Or um, I quite like that at a glance screen where you have like your I have it set up with the weather, my drive mode, and like one other little piece of info um, like widgets style. So I set it up that way mostly. But uh, uh, if I was in like a Kia Rio, I don't think I'd want to look at the factory system. So. It's funny you said your you know your widgets you have set up as you know weather etc. Um, for mine, I have it for the drive mode, the chassis, and the ride height. Um, oh, that's good. I, that's like all the car stuff there. Yeah. Yep. I don't have Sport <laughs> Chrono on mine because me neither. I, I yeah. thought that would be dumb because you can just do it all on the screen right there. So, yeah. Do you slightly regret not getting Sport Chrono because I kind of slightly do? Not at all. It might be because I have a rear wheel drive because. It's always doing that first to second gear thing in normal mode, which is normally not annoying in any way. But if you're in range mode, it's second gear all the time. And that there's like this one instance where if I come up to a um, like a, a right turn on red or a stop sign and I'm slowing down and it's in its second gear, uh, right as I let off the brake to like roll the stop sign and get back on the power to accelerate out, is it... it it goes, oh, he's done with regen. Let me switch to the other gear now. And it's the perfect timing for how I then go back pushing the throttle. And I get a little delay and clunk out of it. Not not much, but just that's the point where I'm like, oh, yeah, this has a transmission. And that's the one time that's a negative for me. Uh, so, like, I go to range mode quite a bit to prevent that when I'm trying to be smooth and lazy feeling. I don't think I've ever driven the car in range mode. Most, <laughs> yeah. Mostly sport. That's, that's fair. That's fun, but yeah. Yeah. Well, then I, then I guess it's just the me problem. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, so me, wow. me personally, I, I mean, I asked you the question, but um, the big thing that I wanted uh, out of the connectivity with the car was just Apple Music integration, which is native in the mm-hmm. PCM. Um, so I find myself just using the native PCM and not using CarPlay at all. But um, How does that native, because um, I'm not an Apple Music user, how does that work out pretty well? Uh, that's another one of the buggy things uh, too. So um, I, think it all, I think it all just has to do with general data connectivity um, mm. where, you know, it, 
I wonder if it's if some of these issues come from uh, your overall like data connectivity in your area. Then, if could that be. could be the stem, because here I have pretty good data connectivity, so I might not experience like any hangups that have a cascading effect into other weird quirks. I wonder. Yep. I, I don't know if if either of you are aware, but uh, I was talking to one of the techs when the when the car was in getting a software update. <laughs> Believe mm-hmm. it or not. Um, and I was like, you know, why, why, why do all these things happen? Um, and he was telling me that, uh, you know, the car still uses the CAN bus technology um, versus something more modern like Ethernet. Um, and so you basically get get a packet blockage on the highway, right, of all the different systems trying to boot up and communicate with each other. Um, and that, that could be part of the problem. Hmm. So, That's very interesting. That's interesting. That explains uh, with my... Uh, I have this, it's admittedly, it's an accessory dongle that makes my Android Auto wireless in the car. Um, when I first get into the car, there's usually very high probability that it will connect, work for about two seconds, and then drop off, and then take another two minutes to get reconnected. And I don't know if it's a dongle or what, because uh, it seems pretty solid via the cable, but I imagine there's more stuff going to the connection uh, side of things and communication with that. Uh, wireless said, adapter. He said that's why potentially the errors and the bugs I'm seeing are so sporadic because it's just the sequence of all the different things that are booting simultaneously. Mm. You start the car and whichever one is last, you know, getting on the highway, you know, it takes forever because everything else has to clear out in front of it. Um, he said the only thing that's Ethernet in the car is from the front facing camera for the drive mode into the drive computer. That's it. Hmm. Don't have to be high speed. Oh, that makes <laughs> sense. I thought, or I, I feel like I the um, Model Three scan tool I had read the Canvas though, but I wonder if they use their own sort of like, you know, it's called Canvas, but it, it's a different protocol or speed layer or something. Yeah. So, yeah, for for as advanced and as you know software heavy as a Tesla is, I would imagine they were using something more advanced. Yeah, because I could read it with a Bluetooth dongle plugged into the back harness by the behind the rear vent. So uh, I wonder. I'd have to. I have no way to check anymore. <laughs> nope. I don't know what that communication was on. Yep. So speaking of Tesla, Mike, Cybertruck, new picker. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you guys saw the new photos that were posted. I saw them on Twitter. Uh, but some mm-hmm. new photos released of the Cybertruck of the interior, close-ups of the interior and a couple of the exterior too, though we kind of already knew what the exterior was going to look like. But the interior, uh, to nobody's surprise probably, is going to have a yoke, uh, as expected. Mm-hmm. And there's some close-ups of the new uh, driver display screen, which in- instead of being rounded off is more angular, kind of like the truck itself, uh, behind the silly yoke steering wheel. And it seems to have the same touchscreen that's probably in the Model S, I would imagine, or maybe the Model 3. I'm not entirely sure if it swivels or anything like that. And it, there's also a cutout now in the A-pillar uh, with a, like a little quarter window up there, which I'm assuming is because it was such a bad blind spot, you would need to see through it. Uh, but pretty interesting. Uh, you know, it's still obviously a concept truck. Uh, who knows when it will actually be released to this moment, but... Um, not surprised to see the yoke. I kind of was hoping it wouldn't get a yoke, uh, just considering what the truck could be used for. I figured a yoke 
could get in the way if people wanted to actually off road this uh, vehicle um, rather than no. Yeah, how are you going to keep your thumbs outside the wheel when you? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, Um, I'm going to say something very uncharacteristic. Uh, As much as I normally say dislike the yoke, if they give it variable steering, I'll allow it. Like, you know, variable uh, ratio. So that, you know, the speed and it'll, it'll figure it out so that 90 degrees is, you know, all you got to do or a little past that I'm okay with. And maybe yeah, uh, but will know, they? 160 degrees each direction. I'm happy with that. Or but no, they will. Aftermarket, you know, wheels that steering wheels, right. That you can swap out and make yeah. them. So. Yep. You can. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah, there's already companies doing that, I guess. So. I mean, some people swap model three steering wheels onto the model S's mm-hmm. with the how many, and everything. How many phone makers now are, you know, not including particular cables and accessories that they used to. <laughs> or anything, some of them. Some so, of them you don't even get bricks anymore. But I would also argue there's no cell phone company currently selling a phone that's shaped like a banana on the screen, where it's kind of slightly more difficult to use due to its shape, at this least. <laughs> like that's the, like that's the hey. thing I have with the yoke. It's like it's cool. Um but I'm not benefiting from it. You know, like phones are kind of all shaped the same way because they kind of all serve the same purpose, just like steering wheels, I think. So Yeah, we've uh, gone down the yoke rabbit hole before. Was intended to start another rant on that. I but, know. Uh, well, it just bothers me that the best thing anyone ever has to say about it is you get used to it. I'm like, okay, but what benefit do I gain? That's all I care about is what benefits do I gain. And there isn't one as far as I can tell. No one's given me a real benefit other than it's cool, which is cool. I'll give you that. But like, I have to use it to pilot a vehicle. And like, it's, I've driven the yoke. It's really not that hard to use, but it's also not realistically better in any way. That's the issue I have. The flat bottom steering wheel thing makes sense. Like the flat bottom of the yoke makes sense. But the top part, like, you can see a screen that really hardly shows you any information in it. So great, <laughs> I guess. Like that would be a good point if they put info there and they don't really put as much info there as they used to in the old S and X. And those had a round wheel and it seemed to work okay. So Yeah, no issues in my model S <laughs> seeing seeing the screen. I would be it's curious. Like it. I'd be ahead. curious like what the average uh, mental adoption time is for someone who, you know, drives a car with a yoke for the first time, right? Just like when they took away the button on the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. It took me like two days and I was like, now I'm like, well, why was it ever even there? You know, yeah. <laughs> why did we ever need it? So yeah, but this, I, this, this seems a little bit different than that, but it just, does just cause I don't know if anyone ever is like, I mean, okay. There are people on, I will, I see comments all the time that like, I would never go back to around zero. I'm like, okay, that's like a very strong look at it. I just want someone to give me a pros and cons list where they have pros that actually are more than it's cool <laughs> on it. That's all I want to know. I just want like a reasoning behind it. Like the engineering mindset I have is like, why is this method better than the current method? That's all I want to know. And I feel like they're on the verge of finding a way to make it be better, but they just haven't invested in, you know, in variable rate steering or anything like that. So that's my part one of a rant, I guess. I, don't know. I was going to say, we just <laughs> got a small preview of a rant. Uh, I know probably. Ben, does have something else he does want to rant about to us for, and it looks like we probably have enough time for it. And uh, we're about to get pretty technical, more than likely, knowing Ben. So if you get bored, I don't blame you for turning it off at this point. But Ben, yeah, I know you. Yeah, we're going to have to do a, a session 
on this. Um, I have a lot because... to talk about. You won't even let me finish, so just go. Yeah. Um, we might have to do like a monthly Ben gets to rant about some stuff um, because I have a bone to pick with automakers and uh, when they talk about torque and torque bias and drive bias so that they call something, you know, rear bias uh, or, you know, usually it stems around when they speak out, something can send, you know, 80% of available torque to the rear wheels or 100% of available torque to the rear wheels. And it's that available part of it that really gets me going because I'm going to use the TLX Type S as an example. Uh, almost every article I'd seen about the car, um, you know, during the launch was it can send, you know, it's a rear biased system. It's rear biased. It's rear biased. It sends up to 100% of the torque to the rear wheels. And everyone's leaving out the available part, which is like the, like the fine print of it because you know, using the TLX, uh, and this is very similar to the uh, RS3 uh, that just came out and the Focus RS, you know, you've got a transverse, uh, you know, so sitting left to right rather than front to back engine in that car and those three cars in general. Uh, so the power is going to the transmission in the front that is then split to the rear uh, differential, which then goes to the rear tires and then has a front differential built in the transmission that goes to the front tires. That's really the primary flow of power there is uh in the case of the folks rs and these other cars at the rear differential where power is always being sent to this rear differential that doesn't disconnect um instead what they do is put a clutch on each of the rear wheels and that's what can connect and disconnect to provide all-wheel drive so if everything's opened up the clutches are not connected it's a front wheel drive car no matter what there's no way around it you cannot unconnect the front wheels so when they say oh well, you can send 100 percent of available torque to the rear the way that reads, I think, in marketing, unfortunately, means, oh, it's rear wheel drive in that instance. But the whole thing is available torque. And, you know, if you look at a car like this on dry pavement, the only way to get more than 50% of the torque to the rear realistically is to overdrive those rear wheels with a different gear ratio so that for every rotation of the front, those rear ones are going to be pushing a little harder. So maybe one, you know, a 2% overdrive or a 3% overdrive um, to kind of help increase that rear torque bias beyond the physical limit of 50-50 on dry pavement. But when they start advertising that it's a 100% to the rear, the scenario that I can envision where there's zero torque making it to the front wheels, which are permanently connected to the system, and 100 to the rear would be the front wheels are on ice or in the air and locked by the brakes because they can't do anything. That's realistically the only way you can get 100 to the rear. So in what performance driving scenario or even realistic road driving scenario is that going to play an effect in a perform because it's always in the the form of performance talk that's what bothers me i think is, really, is, did i explain this right this is like the most yeah. nitpicky thing but it bothers me a lot no, it makes sense so you're saying it's it's mostly it's actually mostly front wheel drive and the most you can actually get is 50 50 yeah and i guess if you're overdriving those rear wheels by a few percent um like in the rs uh, focus rs the rs3 in the tlx case then maybe you can potentially if you lock everything up fully get i don't know what that would translate to generously let's call it you know 55 maybe 60 to the rear at that point um but you're doing that by overdriving some wheels which on a fully locked up system on pavement either the tires are going to be slipping or the clutches are going to be slipping to allow that to work you know, just like having a bigger tire on one side of a car 
versus the other side with the solid axle, it's not going to rotate at the same rate. So I just, I don't like it. That's definitely definitely like a a good marketing twist. It is. And that's what bothers me. I agree with you. I mean, if I read that, I'd be like, oh, I can, this is 100% real drive car. Yeah, cool. It's only at most 50. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And and that's like such a minor thing. What's the new? Ben really wants a whiteboard right now. I whiteboard would make this really easy because um, <laughs> the RS3 was the big issue with this for me recently, and that brought it up again. Uh, the new to... RS3, the brand new RS3, yes, because it is still a a system that's you know I would argue to really say you have a rear biased all drive system. In my mind the front wheels have to be disconnectable in some way, because if you are always powering the front wheels, then you can only ever kind of play some engineering tricks to get a higher torque number to the rear wheels. And they're not going to, I mean, sometimes it will result in oversteer or a rear wheel drive sensation. Um, like, here you go. This is here. Uh, motor one.com. Sorry guys. Uh, not staring with us. Amazingly, the smallest RS can send 100% of the engine's torque to just one of the rear wheels in certain situations. Um, so to, to do that, the front wheels would have to be locked by its own ABS or traction control system. And then the power would be going to the rear diff, which would then only be giving, you know, hundred percent torque to one wheel. So it'd be literally, it could send all its power to one wheel. But the situation where that's happening is where the front wheels are being locked in place with the brakes. And there are not many driving scenarios where that happens, truthfully. Um, that, that, and a, a couple of these, um, like they call, I think they call it RS rear mode. And I'm all for it. Anything you can make more drifty and sidewaysy, I'm for. But I think as we get into this era of, you know, the rear wheel drive car platforms are disappearing and you're going to see more of these front wheel, all wheel drive kind of packaging designed things that are, you know, I don't want to say economy packaged because well, that's kind of why you do a transverse engine layout generally. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing this more and it's going to start becoming one of those, like, what was the last thing automakers all kept saying? It's like saying you can get up to, you know, internet speeds up to 200 megabits per second, but you know, you're actually, they're just going to give you a hundred all the time. And then maybe if they've actually give you some, it feels a lot, I don't know, it just feels disingenuous to me. So, um, so Ben, let me ask you this. So if you had a mid or rear engine car, like a 718 or a 911, okay. right? How does that change what you just described? Um, in terms of all wheel drive or in terms of the, cause those are, well, the 718, I guess is two wheel drive. Um, it depends on which I would argue that the wheels that in my kind of complaint should be considered the primary biased uh, wheels and drivetrain terminology are whichever ones cannot be disconnected in the driveline. So, uh, you know, like using our old Land Rover as an example, that's a four wheel drive thing. The front and the rear are always engaged. They always get about 50, 50, power through that transfer case to the front and rear, um, give or take. It's an open differential, so surfaces could change that. But on a, a fully traction surface, that's what's going to happen. Um, like if you look at a mid-engine sports car like the Cayman or Boxster, I mean, it's only sending power to those two wheels. Torque vectoring can then, you know, 
at the diff, it gets 100% power to this. And then that diff can say, I'm going to connect more or less to left or right. 9.11 gets interesting um, because it sort of uh, kind of works in a sense like the older Audi Quattro systems, but backwards because the engine hangs over the axle and there's a transmission uh, more uh, midship in position. But that's still when it decouples the all-wheel drive system, it becomes rear-wheel drive. So I, you know, I think that's still a rear-wheel drive car. You look at a BMW 340i, for example, that's a rear-wheel drive car that can then send power to the front. A Golf R is kind of a front-wheel drive car that's in power to the rear. And I think with the Golf R, people kind of understand that available torque thing. But I think when you get into this RS3, and I'm probably going to expect some sort of small AMG to be in a similar boat coming up here in the next year when they do that, I feel like a lot of those little hot hatches are where they're, or the, in the Acura TL Type S, they're the ones who I think are known the most. So they call it a rear-biased auto-drive system. And I think that's uh, implying things that it's not at that point. Uh, because if you, I mean, it, it comes down to that example of, when are you going to have two wheels in the air? And is it going to matter biases at that point where it can send power? You know, have to respond very quickly. If we take the drivetrain out of the equation and do mm -hmm. like electric drivetrains, that's the yeah. only way you could get truly front rear, hundred uh, percent. Yes, or um, yeah, I guess there's probably not really any drivetrain on the market other than an electric one that's a great point that's a that's why electric drivetrains are great because it's the only thing where you can apply a hundred percent of the power uh, output the car is providing to a specific axle or motor in this case if it's a four motor car sure. without any going or any other weird situation having to happen to the other now the interesting thing is how do you classify a drivetrain bias you know front to rear power bias on an EV, I would argue it's the total output. Like when you're at full power using the full power, both motors, what that front to rear split is, is how I would probably advertise. But, you know, something like track mode in the Model 3, that would really let you say, I want to send everything to the rear. And only once the rear is giving its full power output, then add the front motor into the equation to make sure that you still have access to the total horsepower. So that that's probably how. And then, like you said, how do you I classify like it in like? And like a Rivian that has, you know, four motors in it. Four motors, yeah. I would still add up the total horsepower of the front and rear axles and or motor combinations and and do it that way, I think, for a system power split. But they can be so much more valuable. Actually, electric cars solved my biggest problem in automotive marketing. And it was a small problem that really affected, I think, me and maybe probably one other person. Who would read yeah, that probably just you. Plane. I was hoping that you were going to. Sure, there's someone like Jason the electric car. Since I was saying, I'm sure like, like someone like Jason Camisa sees this and rolls his eyes, or there's probably a few people out there who do, because they probably get every single press briefing on that, and they go, "Oh, it's not really," you know, or maybe Chris Harris, or but there's there's more people out there. But uh, I'm speaking up for the one percent, or the point one percent. This <laughs> so this would be a cool thing if you could. As a, as a driver of something like a Taycan, right? You could control the the bias through like mm -hmm. the PCM, right? Like you could set it yourself. I mean, I always say there's drive modes, right? That are pre-programmed to do these things. But that would be interesting if at some point in the future, some EV manufacturer allowed you to specifically set, nope, I want it to be 
100% rear wheel drive, 100% front wheel drive, right? Pick your bias type of thing. I don't know if that's, that's, that, that leads down to a dangerous path potentially with like the handling dynamics of the car, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's really what the track mode on Model 3 I felt like did because you had a slider that was percentage, 100 to the front, 100 to the rear, and 5% increments, you could slide it. And it would, they called it a handling balance, which I think was the best way they could have phrased it because it's not really a drive bias or, or distribution because if I was going around a corner, it would, and I had it set 95% to the rear, it would basically send 95% of the rear up to the point where the rear had reached its full output capacity and then the front had to get involved to maintain the total acceleration capability or horsepower output of the car at that point because it's or, split or amongst stability. the two. I'm thinking like stability-wise, right? You know? Yeah, well, that's why they did it that way. I think that way you could have it act as a real drive car up until the point that that would limit your total horsepower of it or whatever. Um, so it made it great fun to drift around and you could set it to front wheel drive and let's do like big understeer everywhere if you wanted. It was kind of funny. Um, but I, it's also, it's a good point you bring up because uh, automakers spend all of this time very carefully developing the handling and predictability and characteristics of the car. And then I'm sure there's a lot of automotive engineers who would be like disgusted at the idea that any random person could go into the car and just like slide something left or right and make it completely you know, ruin all the tuning that they've done, so to speak. But I think that's something that would be very cool to see. Like I could see on the Rivian, even for off-roading, like having a screen where like, okay, this is a tricky spot. The computer's not figuring it out. Let me select the motors that I want to focus the power to directly and, you know, really send it all there first before bothering with, you know, this and that. That could be, this, there's definitely use cases for it, I think. I'd like to see that. I mean, oh, BMW M X Drive and Mercedes-Benz Formatic Plus do that, don't they? Because they're four-wheel drive systems that you can put it in basically drift rear-wheel drive mode and go blow the tires off the thing. I think we're actually think maybe now at the uh, what's the term? Not in the, it's it's the new frontier is weird torque control between all-wheel drive systems, <laughs> electric motors. We could this could be the 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 next frontier of automotive development. I mean, we've already had bouncing Mercedes-Benz suspension. You know, that I would have thought factory um, lowrider was uh, never going to happen, but that kind of happened. So <laughs> maybe factory, it, like you could pick your handling vices. You know, Honda could come out with an electric car and you could say, oh, I want it to feel like an NSX or I want it to feel like the Type R Civic. I mean, there's some interesting possibilities there, I think. Like when you play a video game, right? And you pick you pick which car you want based on, you know, the different handling characteristics of it. Yeah. To just be able to tune yeah, your own car that, way, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, this actually, okay, here's what I want a car company to do now. We're going to use Honda as an example. Like the next, the first Honda EV, whatever that will be, that's a mainstream. Because um, the Honda Fit EV existed and those are weird. Um, but like the first mainstream one, like the Honda E, but for the US, you know, when they have a, a bigger market they're focusing on. I want to go into the drive modes and have like the 1999 Prelude and the, you know, Civic Type R and, uh, you know, NSX where you can like pick, it'll, it'll limit the motors to the right horsepower and bias and you could get the sound effects with it too. That'd be kind of fun. That'd be cool. Why not? <laughs> Here you know, like, VTEC. you know, it's, it's like a greatest hits album, but for uh <laughs> drive, you know, our, our previous cars, you could kind of have some fun with that. I think. You could you could simulate fake turbo lag and and VTEC and whatnot through all that without too much difficulty. 
It's a very limited appeal as far as functions go, but it would be very good for uh, articles and press. I mean, you know, oh, uh, Honda releases a new software update and now you can drive their famous, you know, Integra Type R or whatever, or feel what that was like, you know, from an acceleration point, at least. It's like Waze when they release celebrity voiceovers to your direct. Yeah. Well, that's a good analog, actually. (laughs) You you, you get car updates to your electric car. Oh, experience what it was like to drive a 91 CRX SI. Exactly. Now your car won't be light, but you'll be (laughs) able to know what that acceleration (laughs) time felt like. It might be good as, you know, since EVs are going to make everything so quick, we're not really going to, uh, there'll be people who will think, and actually, no, there are people now who think a car that does 0 to 60 in six seconds is slow, like really slow, which is it's kind of not when you think about it. That's a fast car. You know, it's very quick. But uh, I think EVs are going to warp our perception of this. They already have a bit, but I think like when the average okay. like run-of-the-mill Nissan Altima type replacement is already a, you know, probably a six-second 0 to 60 or something, that's going to really make like, I don't know, something like our Land Rover, which takes over 20 seconds, seem like a joke. Like, how did how, you mean you could only fit three, you know, one megabyte on a floppy disk? That's crazy. What could you <laughs> even store on that? How would you even get on the highway or something would be the question. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that is pretty good. Well, for those of you who stuck around through Ben's rant, thank you. You are the not the most interesting here. topic. I appreciate anyone who bothered to listen to me uh, <laughs> just vent about that. And uh, I mean, wow, I, we actually made it to just about an hour. I mean, pretty dang close. Uh, I wasn't sure if we could get there, but Ben, I forgot Ben does like to talk when he gets on his rants. I get to live with this yes. and hear it every day. <laughs> yeah. Different rants, especially in our car, our road trip. We have to Asheville coming up tomorrow night. We're just oh, yeah. Gonna, a lot of rants, I'm sure, when we see cars on the side of the road. But, yeah. Logan, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, hopefully, we don't go like six or seven months between having you on again. And maybe mm-hmm. Jordan will show up next time. I don't know. Yeah, but thanks it, for having me. Yeah, and maybe so, Apple CarPlay's new update will save us all um, from our technology <laughs> issues in cars. So, it's always that. You never know. But until next time, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find uh, Ben and I on our Twitters uh, at M underscore Breeling and uh, at Benji underscore OOS. Uh, yeah, so- and if you check my Twitter, there will be a photo of my wood. Uh, I mean, my knob. Which you just mentioned for the first time. So Yes, yeah, I know. That's why that I'm going to send people photo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, guys. It's from Mexico. uh, I'm going to confuse people even further. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I should end it before you just keep talking, and then it'll just go on and on. (laughs) See you, guys. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.